Cambridge 105 Radio. This is Sue Keogh's Business of Cambridge. Series 2, Episode 6, Events, is supported by our friends at Third Light, transforming how marketers collaborate and manage their digital media. Hello and welcome to the Business of Cambridge. I'll be joined later on by our resident expert in property, who will be telling me how the business of buying and selling homes has changed. But the immediate focus is events and the huge challenges we've seen in this sector for the people who organise them. With me today are Justin Crane from the Crane Event and Charlie Evans from Pink Lamp, a sound and lighting business who adapted their model to offer studio space to creatives. Justin, talk me through what happened as we went into the first lockdown in March 2020 with this huge wave of cancellations. The impact must have been pretty immediate. Oh, absolutely. The panic first started to set in as uh, we were probably our biggest event at the time was putting on a large outdoor beer festival, which was going to happen towards the end of April. But all the prep had been started in that. And then when the news started breaking through that, you know, this is a lot more serious. It was one of those push and shove kind of things where it comes to or give and take, I should say, where as an event organiser, if you cancel then you would be liable for all the costs. But if the client cancels, then it falls onto them. So it was kind of, you know, both of us wanted to do the right thing. But, you know, at the same time, you know, there was up in the air about what insurance policies could be taken out on it or or would be paid out. For all like outdoor public events, you have to do an event management plan, which involves the local authorities, the safety advisory groups and stuff. And we kept to have to basically adapt those every single time, you know, and a new, new bit of news came out that had to be adapted and go off for approval uh, to make sure that everybody was fine with it, you know. But at the end of the day, you just had to cancel. So that sounds very stressful. <laughs> but the yeah. waiting game, lots of things going backwards and forwards. And you mentioned the two of you. So you're a husband and wife team, aren't you? Um, yes. With staffing, that must be quite tricky. So in some companies, you've had to furlough someone. But then when it's a husband and wife, I imagine that would cause a bit of tension. How have you managed that with the, the workload? Well, we were, I guess, incredibly lucky, but it's also incredibly sad at the same time. We started a business three and a half years ago. And we'd built it up and it was getting bigger and bigger each year, a greater success, which is brilliant. And in fact, this April, we'd, we'd started off as a partnership between us. And this April, we were going to turn into a limited company, you know, so we could take the next step into a business. And then when all this news started coming through our accountant, we'd already thought it, but our accountant had gotten in touch and goes, do not do it. Do not do it now. So luckily through that, by keeping us a partnership, we were available to apply for some of the grants that were being given out. As a limited company, that wasn't an option. There's still many of those that are are still struggling and haven't been given any financial help. So that's deeply, deeply shocking and and sad. But for us, we were able, we hadn't quite gone that far yet. So we we were managed to, by our fingernails, claw onto something. Oh, that's that's good to hear. So Charlie, how about you? So you offer sound and lighting and staging to events organisers themselves. What was the situation for you? Was your business hit overnight or was it a slow process? Yeah, so we started to see things come quite early. We sort of started seeing the news and we kind of heard about this thing that was happening. But then sort of ripples in the event industry, because there's a large network and we talk quite a lot. Things had started to change before the lockdown. We saw a few people sort of looking to postpone, looking to cancel. And then overnight, obviously, that just happened as soon as the lockdown hit. The weddings came, the larger events. We were with Justin on quite a few large events. They went as well. So, yeah, we were just sort of left with an empty diary within the first few weeks of lockdown. 
And what about your team? Was have you got a large team or lots of freelancers or how what was your setup previously? So I started the business about ten years ago. It was always myself and then I think about four years ago I took Lucy on in the office and um, she came on full time last year. And then we had Matt in the warehouse and he was I think he was with us for about a year. But sadly he's had to leave now and Lucy's on furlough, but I don't realistically think that she'll be able to come back in March either. Maybe at some point soon when things do start to open up again, because I'm starting to feel really positive about the next stages because things will open up and, you know, events will start happening. So uh, I think, yeah, it is going to start looking more positive soon. Justin, tell me about the big shift in thinking. And it was something I saw myself with events organisers, this feeling of having the rug pulled from under their feet and then a move to online as kind of a second best option. And then all these positives started to appear. So people thinking, oh, actually, this opens things up and we can have people attend from all over the world. What were those first few events that you ran that were in a slightly different format? I guess when it all kicked off and, and live events just shut down completely, the first thing I managed to do was get some sleep, which was amazing. Uh, <laughs> for, for starting up a business, uh, I'm sure you all know that the first few years is just grabbing every single thing you can do and running with it. So it was a good time to actually have a break from everything. Unfortunately for my wife's side of things, who runs the event marketing side of the business, her workload increased significantly because a lot of events, as you said, did continue, but they just moved themselves online. So she had to take on the marketing for all those and get those out. And it was a, it was kind of a new way of doing it or a new approach to it where it was, you know, normally it's live events or it's possibly a hybrid event, which uh, hasn't been massive in taking off in the past. But then to strictly online events, it means just, you know, a different outlook to the marketing of, of, on reach. From my side of things, who's the more of the producer and the management side of things, I actually took some time stepping back. I didn't jump into it straight away. I wanted to see what was out there, what people were doing, wanted to learn from it rather than promise people that we could do something and then figure it out as we go along. You know, I wanted to go in knowledgeable with what is possible. And we're getting there. We, you know, we've produced um, several virtual events now for uh, large companies from anything from uh, we've had... I think we just had um, 20 high-profile um, managers in on a, on a workshop, a four-hour workshop, to a few months ago. We had um, something like 500 people all on a virtual team call, basically, with lots of entertainment and stuff going on. So really, really diverse stuff, but it's a learning process with every single step. Yeah, it's amazing how we've all had to learn very quickly and adapt. <laughs> so for Charlie, tell me about this studio that you've created then. Is it an idea that had been cooking for quite a while or had you seen a sudden demand? How did it all come about? No, so it was not planned in the slightest. Um, so in our <laughs> warehouse, we're, we're based in Melbourne. We've got uh, two floors. The first floor is where all of our main sort of sound and lighting is kept and our day-to-day stuff and our offices. Um, upstairs was always kind of like the no man's land of where anything that didn't get used, chuck it upstairs, you know, oh, we don't need that, throw it upstairs. And then we were just chatting with a friend about sort of studios, not really related to lockdown. And he said, oh, the upstairs at your place would make quite a good studio. And because we're all furloughed with not much to do we, we just started knocking walls down upstairs and it just just grew and grew into this studio space and at the time we were building it this kind of need for virtual content was sort of happening at the same time um so it wasn't really a a purpose-built place with the virtual content in mind it just happened at a very good time where it was kind of needed but it, yeah I think it was a very good focus for us 
not having much on to, to sort of build this space and make it usable for sort of permanently because I know a lot of production companies are building pop-up studios in their units and stuff but we've now got somewhere permanently built that will be here forever so it's, it's quite a good thing to come out of a bad thing. So how have you managed all of that with the social distancing? Obviously photographers, if they're dealing with people, they might want to get quite close and arrange clothing or they might need makeup. How have you managed that in a small studio space? We only really finished it in sort of August time. Um, we've been doing a lot of DJ streams because it's myself and a partner who built the studio. So we were sort of coming at different times and we were doing the DJ streams from here ourselves and, and different things like that. Um, also learning photography skills and bits of ourselves. So we've only really had three or four clients come in and it, they've been very small teams that have been able to distance in the space upstairs because it's about nine metres square so there's, there's a large amount of space upstairs to distance but obviously we can't have loads of people which does cut the amount of what we're able to do at the moment down quite a bit. You're listening to The Business of Cambridge with me Sue Keogh and today we're talking events with Justin Crane from The Crane Event and Charlie Evans from Pink Lamp. So you set at this new studio and it's catering for this demand for people to create content. How have you gone about marketing it too? It's been a really strange time to sort of market things like this because, as Justin sort of mentioned, people are feeling a bit strange about whether they can go out and do things or whether they should go out and do things. And especially with sort of content creation and stuff, it's not deemed as essential, but it, it is essential for a lot of businesses to sort of keep going. So we've been trying to do it on social media, trying to sort of invite people down for free um, to create some stuff and then hopefully people will see that and then, you know, ask where that was created and, and bring his business that way. But it has been, a, it, it's a strange time even with the, the production side of the business. You don't want to market and look like you don't care about what's going on, but at the same time, you have to sort of run a business safely. It's a really strange thing to, to kind of work on at the moment and it's, it's quite a difficult thing to sort of do effectively, I think. And for you, Justin, you were saying about all the marketing that you've been doing for other people, but what about marketing your own business? When all this kicked off, and as I said, I was you know at home sleeping at the time and completing Netflix <laughs> just to make sure it was um, it was all done. They they started up a campaign, a national campaign. Uh, if you remember the NHS clapping on Thursdays, and a few people in the events industry turned around and started to light up venues blue to raise awareness for the NHS and stuff and uh, I saw that and instantly thought that was a great idea and uh, called up Charlie and some other events people who were suddenly out of work and and with you know nothing going on and suggested that we bring this idea to Cambridge and and do that Uh, and uh, probably sounds slightly selfish here but you know it was done to raise awareness for the NHS every Thursday I think we did 24 venues over nine weeks the photos all, all around Cambridge amazing. all around Cambridge different mm. venues a week but what it also did was raise awareness to what we were doing uh, that we were still here that we were struggling to do that so it was kind of I guess you know, selfless and selfish at the same time you know we wanted to uh, raise awareness for the NHS of course we did but also at the same time it was almost like a, a cry for help a plea for help like going we're still here we're struggling and it got out there you know it, it really helped push things forward uh, we've had charities come forward to us afterwards because uh, they want to raise awareness uh, they still need to you know uh, promote what they're doing and we've been doing um, site visits for them and, and doing like light ups for them and stuff so it's opened up a whole new avenue of that thing but the original idea was a to raise awareness for the nhs but also to raise awareness for uh, for our businesses who were struggling i guess 
Let's talk about what's coming next then. And I'm curious to know about the things that we're going to carry forward from all of this. Justin, do you think that events are always going to have a bit of a blended format, so in person and online? Yeah, absolutely. If you ask this question like two months ago, you know, we said no, people just want to get back to life as quickly as possible. But the longer we spend online, I know people do want to get back to life, but the opportunities that it's actually bringing up accessibility, you know, taking away travel, you can reach people all around the world for your meeting, you know, lots of the events that we do involve people traveling from all around the world to one destination, which is, you know, brilliant if you like to travel. But at this time, People are very cautious about it, but also the whole expense behind it as well. So to get people together online, as long as it's engaging, and certainly if you're marketing them in the in the correct way, it's going to continue. I mentioned hybrids earlier, hybrid events, and I think that's a whole new thing that people have, have yet to discover you know, in in real life, we're talking at the moment, when you say hybrid to a lot of people, they might just think that people would, you know, it's an online event, but people are going to, let's say, Charlie's amazing studio, I've been there, it looks fantastic, to present to the people on the, the other side of the screens. And that, they see that as a hybrid event, when, you know, hybrid events are really going to be a full scale, large exhibition type event or a conference with camera crews in there streaming from them and, and, and all that aspect of it. So, you know, there's two sides to it and it's just shifting to how those are going to work. And if they're going to work, the venues themselves, you know, what's the added cost? Is the implications of the Wi-Fi, is that going to be strong enough? You know, and then also on top of that, the marketing as well. You're going to have to make sure your marketing messages are going out to the live attendees and also to the virtual attendees because they're going to be different messages, I presume. So, And can I ask you about atmosphere as well? So you've got the marketing, you've got the Wi-Fi, you've got all those logistics sorted. But one thing I know a lot of people have found is, oh, we still miss that feeling of maybe at a networking event, having a glass of wine, a few nibbles and a chat. How are people recreating that atmosphere? Well, there's certain platforms that offer like more of a networking drop in, drop out type of uh, uh, scenarios, you know, uh, using breakout rooms in, in the virtual things. But also it comes down to what you're doing to make the people on the other side of screens feel more welcome, whether or not it's sending party packs out to them in advance providing live entertainment on there you know i'm not going to lie to you you can't recreate exactly what a lot you know the feeling you get from a live in-person event but certainly by having like um, live entertainment on the screen rather than pre-recorded you know and the element of surprise and and that kind of thing you, you know the more you can incorporate that into something it's the more you're going to be bringing people to feel like they're actually part of something and so charlie just thinking about the industry more widely How long do you think it's going to take to get back on its feet? You can't just put on a conference or a concert tour overnight. There's always months of planning. Yeah, I think that's the golden question that is on everyone's lips at the moment and is on my social feeds constantly um, with people just needing to know and wanting to know or trying to guess when it's going to end and when we're going to get back to normal. And I think nobody really knows. I think the recent announcement of Glastonbury cancelling for a second year um, has really hit the industry hard. You know, a lot of people were, were counting on that for some decent work on a decent scale Um, and I think hopefully that won't cause a domino effect this year of the smaller festivals saying well if Glastonbury can't do it we shouldn't do it so it's a really hard thing to answer and I've kind of given up trying to guess to be honest (laughs) trying Mm, to take each mm. day as it comes and just when we're hopefully allowed to do something um, we can but obviously we need to make sure it's safe. I was just going to say I think there's a good 
part of this and, and certainly within a lot of the people of the in the event industry who are chomping at the bit to get back to it they also have the sensibilities of because we can doesn't mean we should you know it's it's really a case of like it has to be right you know we go back to um christmas time when it was originally going to be six days open to go see families because they said you can what you know should you you know it's 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 a moral debate within us all this brings me on to just a final question to you both. Let's say life returned to normal again, just like that. What's the first event you'd go to? And for me, talking about festivals, I've just got this vision of being sat in a field, pint of cider, sunshine and great music happening around me. So what about you? What's the very first thing you'd go to as a punter yourself? Justin? It would be a festival, certainly. Yeah. Well, it'd probably be a, a live concert somewhere. I mean... My ideal one would be a festival, but my office is actually above a Cambridge venue. So I would be straight down there (laughs) checking out any band I possibly can. But there's an amazing festival called Red Rooster over in uh, Thetford, which I go to every year that I'd love. Well, didn't go last year, but I would love to be back in there, sitting in the field in the sun, as you said, with a beer in hand and, uh, and just enjoying some music. It's just the best thing, isn't it? What about you, Charlie? Yeah, exactly the same. I think live music, just anywhere. Obviously, I'm a, a lighting engineer mainly, so to get that kind of goosebump feeling behind a lighting desk at a festival or where some live music's playing, that's why we all do it, you know. So I just can't wait to go back to doing that. And then on a personal level, probably the West End, I really miss going down to the West End for theatre shows as well. And getting dressed up and putting shoes on and <laughs> all these things yeah, that and, people and, have been working from home all this time. Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And so that is Justin Crane from The Crane Event and Charlie Evans from Pink Lamp. Thanks for having us. You're listening to The Business of Cambridge on Cambridge 105 Radio with me, Sue Keogh. And next up, our resident expert on property, Gavin Human from Exquisite Home, is going to tell us about how life as an estate agent is changing, not just through the impact of COVID, but with the ongoing move towards digital and away from the high street. Gavin, here's a question I bet no one ever asks you. How are you? I'm exceptionally well, thank you, Sue. How are you? <laughs> Great, thank you. I was wondering if life for estate agents had changed very much over the last year. What's your typical working day looking like right now? I love my job today just as much as I did 30 years ago when I first started. Every day is different, although the process of buying and selling a house is very much the same. Every day is different with the people we meet and the jobs that we have to do. Quite often you're starting checking emails first thing in the morning, 6, 6.30 in the morning, and sometimes you're still dealing with inquiries late into the evening. No day is ever the same. But you'll have been told to go and work remotely like so many other kind of office-based businesses. So has that had an impact as well? I think it has for the corporate estate agents. I think the independent estate agents are able to adapt very easily to the changes. A lot of us have been working remotely from office for the last couple of years using the, the high street office as a base, as a hub. So we can go in, we use the printing facilities, et cetera, et cetera. Also, obviously, chat to work colleagues and find out what's going on. But a lot of it do work remotely rather than sitting behind a desk all day. They're in the car, they're out doing viewings, emails are coming through to your phone, text messages, WhatsApp messages. You don't need to sit in an office all day. And I think we really are able to offer our clients a real bespoke service without being tied to an office. Now, you can't visit people's houses, you can't even get too close to them. So how have estate agents been able to do viewings? 
Well, we are actually allowed to go around doing viewings as long as we follow the national guidelines. Some agents now are doing virtual viewings and they go around holding their iPhone. Never is the same as doing a proper viewing. It is about making sure our clients are safe and also the prospective buyers are safe. We go around, we wear gloves, masks, we've got the hand sanitizer, everything is properly done. All our clients go out for a walk. We don't show people round unless they're in a position to proceed. So we are very careful as to who we show round a property and the processes that we follow through. Where previously a viewing might take an hour on an average property, now because of the cleaning processes that we have in place, quite often we're at a house for an hour and a half. But if that's what it takes to make sure that our clients are safe and the buyers are safe, then that is what we'll continue to do. And what about the buyers themselves? So you know that feeling where you walk into a property and you just get this emotional pull and you think, yeah, I can really see myself living here and bringing up a family and all these things. Do people fall in love with a property in the same way over Zoom? Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, no. Over Zoom? No, 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 not over Zoom. That's why I think these virtual viewings are never the same. Okay, it's like your sales brochure. And I've been saying for 30 years, I can't sell a house. The house will sell itself. What our job is as an estate agent is about putting a house in front of you that you might not have considered in an area you might not have thought of and then persuading you to step through that door. When you step inside that property, normally within two or three minutes, like you rightly just said, you get a feel for that house. If you don't get that feel, you won't buy it. You might get the idea of where your furniture can go and that you like the colour schemes and that you like the, the outlook, but you'll only know if you really like it once you step through the door. And that's why even during these challenging times, it's important we still carry out viewings. And things have been changing in the sector for quite a while with the arrival of Rightmove and this sort of move to more online presences. And then, of course, you've got estate agents now that are completely online and they don't have the bricks and mortar. So has this change accelerated over the last year? I think there'll be a lot of estate agents, particularly on the corporate side, that will be shutting their offices, realising you don't necessarily need a high street office. People are not going on the high street, they're not walking into estate agents. And I think it's down to the estate agents to adapt their processes in order to make the whole moving experience better. Why should we be sat on a high street, sat behind a desk all day? We should be out there meeting people, showing people around, making better use of our time. And so would you say the essential skills for estate agents have changed? So maybe they need to be a bit more social media savvy nowadays? Yes, very much so. But I keep saying, and I've said it for years now, the most important thing for an estate agent is to stop hiding behind emails, is to pick a phone up, talk to people. And at Squizzit Home, it's one thing that we really do focus on, is talking to people. We want to really understand why somebody wants to move, what they want to get from that house move. Social media plays an important part in getting the name and the brand across and for the public to see what you're doing. They want to be able to trust what you're doing and see that you are an integral part of the local community and that you know what you're talking about. So those companies that you can use, I mean, I could sell my house tomorrow and take a lot of the hard work and that on myself and do it through this slightly more virtual approach. How are these companies faring? Are people going back to traditional estate agents or are they still trying to take it on themselves? There's a lot of people that have tried the internet-only approach. And for me, what I see on a day-to-day basis, 
doesn't work. People do want to be able to pick a phone up and talk to somebody, sending somebody an email all the time. I think selling a house is not like buying a, a jumper or buying a television. You you want to engage with some, you have questions that you need answering and you need them answering straight away. And sometimes those questions need to be explained properly. The answers explained properly as well. And you don't get that on an email. We've all been in the situation where we've received text messages from friends or emails from people and we misread them and it's really important when it comes to buying a house and selling a house that you are on a one-to-one level with that person i stress it all the time talking to people it's so so important and i think we can hide behind emails hide behind modern technology but as an estate agent we should be going out there talking to people far more when we're looking at the big players there like purple bricks they haven't taken the market by storm they're various financial pressures within that model itself. The self-employed estate agent model is not all it's cut out to be. They have their own individual challenges. The way an estate agent works and the process of buying and selling a house has not changed for many years. From agreeing a house sale to the day of completion, on average, takes 12 weeks. That's exactly the same time scale it was 30 years ago. What has changed incredibly is the way we market a property with professional photography, bespoke video tours. That's the way the market has changed. Thank you so much, Gavin from Exquisite Home. Next time, innovation with guests from Huawei and graphene startup Paragraph. Plus, our expert in HR will have tips on workplace well-being. Business of Cambridge was presented by Sue Keogh and supported by Third Light. It's a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio and you can find previous episodes on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.